You know, Helen Keller was a famous author and speaker, and many of us have heard her story before. When she was 19 months old, there was this unknown virus that hit her, uh, and she ended up becoming uh, deaf and blind because of it. Now, according to her autobiography, her childhood after that disease struck her, she said she, it was like living in a sea of dense fog. She was frustrated and confused. Now, later, what we know is that she had a teacher named Ann Sullivan, and her teacher was able to teach her sign language. And she said that the day that she learned sign language, that she realized what that meant, it was like her, her, her birth was reborn in a way. It was, it was a, a new, new day for her. And after this, it says that she would go on to inspire millions of people who had disabilities that limited them also. It was said that because of her story, because of her perseverance, because of her attitude and what she had really persisted to be, people who were disabled, people who had physical limitations were able to see her and move forward knowing that if she could do it, they could as well. Now, towards the end of her life, she did an interview. And in her interview, they, were, she, they asked her, what is the biggest struggle about being blind? How is it that difficult? What's the, what's the main difficulty of being blind? And she said this quote, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. Now, what Helen Keller was saying was that it doesn't matter if you have great short-term sight, if you cannot see the greater need and the bigger picture, then you might as well be blind. The reason I'm saying this is because I believe that there's something wrong with our Christian generation today, where we have great short-term sight, and yet we have no great long-term vision. Because for so many of us, we are simply content in the temporal things of this world and just receiving money and getting more famous and doing this or that. And yet for our, for our innermost need of desiring and knowing God, we have nothing of that. We are not passionate about the Lord. We don't want a closer relationship with him. We want all the trappings that this world can give us, and yet we have no desire to know the one and the true living God. There are many of us who have sight but do not have vision. Some of us, I know, are deeply unhappy and are purposeless, and we think that money and relationships will fill that emptiness. But what you have to understand is that what you are struggling with is not a physical problem. It's a sin problem. What you are struggling with is not something from the body. It's a spiritual one. And church, what we see, and the reason I bring this up is because in this story that we just read, in this miracle it talks about this very concept. Because what we know at the end of chapter 2, it says that the apostles did many works and many wonders and many signs. 
Hundreds, it's not thousands. And yet, out of all of those, this was the one they chose to highlight. This is the one they chose to tell us about. And the reason why is because it's so important, because it spans time, it spans culture, it spans era, it spans all of that. Because it's not just a problem back then, it's a Christian problem, church. And the main point, the main concept that we're going to look at is just one thing, is that Jesus will not give us what we want, he will give us what we need. He did not give that beggar money. Peter and John said specifically, I have not silver or gold. And yet what Jesus does is he changes that beggar's life forever. And that is what he promises us as well. He's not going to give us something temporal or something small, something for the short term. What he does promise is he's going to give you vision for the future. He's not just going to give you physical healing. He will give you spiritual one that's going to last you up until eternity. Because our hopes and our wishes are too small. Our desires are too small. They're too temporal. And he's saying, I'm going to give you so much more than that. Jesus doesn't give us what we want. He gives us what we need. And so today, all I have are three points. The first is that many of us are crippled. Many of us are crippled. Second is that Jesus is the only one who can change us. And third, there is hope in his name. First, many of us are crippled. Verse 1 to 2 says this. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. After and this, a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Now, just to give you a little background, when it says the ninth hour, what that means is the ninth hour after sunrise. And so all that means is that for the people back then, they had three times when they would pray. It would be 9 a.m., 12 noon, and 3 p.m. And so in this passage here, what it means is that they went to the temple at 3 p.m. to go worship the Lord. And when they were heading towards the temple, there were different gates, different entrances that they could enter into. And one of those gates was called the Beautiful Gate. Now that's a pretty big name, right, for a gate. But it deserved that name. Because what we know about that gate is that it was inlaid with gold and silver. It was this beautiful gate that was huge, bigger than the rest of the gates, in fact. In fact, it was so big that they said that it would take 20 men to close it. And so there would be people who would go back and forth from that gate every single day, hundreds, hundreds of people. And so here we see that there was this man who we knew would be a beggar, would be carried by other people to this gate because he could not do it himself. You see, this beggar, this lame man, was dependent on what other people did for him. We know this because it says that every day he was carried to the gate. Man, what a sad sight that must be. 
that juxtaposition of having such a poor beggar man in front of the one of the most beautiful gates in the world. Church, what the Bible is pointing out here is that even if we are not physically lame, many of us are spiritually crippled. Because what we see here is that even though this man would go to the temple every single day, that even though this man went to church every single day, his life was not changed. His legs were the exact same as they were when he was born. And for so many of us, even though physically we may seem to be fine, spiritually we are the exact same as this man. Because for so many of us, we are content with being carried to church every single day. For so many of us, we are content with having someone else tell us what to read, with someone else tell us to pray, with someone else trying to lead our spiritual lives, that we are never going to want to push forward in our own faith. For so many of us, we are physically fine, and yet spiritually, we are crippled and we're okay with it. And church, so many of us, when we look back on our lives, our relationship with God is the exact same as it was when we were first saved. How is that any different than this man where it says that he was crippled from birth? And if this is you, whether you realize it or not, you are spiritually crippled. And the reason I'm stressing this is because we are living in a day when far too many of our men are spiritually lame. And I'm not just trying to point out our church. I'm trying to point out our generation of Christian men who are so complacent in where they are, who are willing just to stay in, in just pure contentment and being led by other people. Who, who are okay with being carried to church every day, who are okay with being carried to read the Bible every day, who are being okay with carried to, to, to pray, and that there are husbands who are unwilling to lead in their households. And so what they end up doing is having their wife lead devotions every day, with having their wife be the one who prays for their children every day, with having the wife do all of those different things. And yet what I can tell you is that spiritually that is not right. That is not biblical. It's frustrating to see men in our generation, in my generation, who don't push their wives to be better followers of Christ and yet simply drag their wife down and is a bigger burden to them. And I know that this is hard to hear, but man... When I see a lot of these people, a lot of these brothers who are so competitive in sports. I mean, look at our church. We are so competitive that we have to close down different sports tournaments. We are so competitive, and yet for so many of us, we are so content in our mediocrity before God. It doesn't make sense. A lot of us think that being a man means that we have to fight when other people fight us. 
that being a man means that we have to stand up for a girl, that we have to do all these different things, that we have to take on every dare and all that kind of stuff. But do you know that being a man of God means that you are not content in allowing others to do for you what you should be doing? Brothers, you have to wake up because that's not pleasing to the Lord. And nowhere in the Bible does that ever condone your behavior or your actions. We are meant to lead. So lead. And look, brothers, I'm telling you this because I love this church and I love you. I do. And, man, I want us to just be spiritually mature in our faith. I don't want us to move back and forth like the wind and the waves. I want us to know what we believe in. I want us to move forward. And I don't want us to be content with always being carried by someone else. I want us to desire to carry others. Sisters, I'm not going to yell at you, don't worry. Our congregation, we're on the younger side. And so I know that many of you are dating with the intent to marry. All I want to say is I want you to be careful. Because if you're dating someone that you're dragging to church or that you are carrying spiritually right now, that is not biblical. That is not pleasing to the Lord. Jesus, it tells, you, it tells us in the Bible we need to be equally harnessed. Now, that does not mean that all of y'all need to like marry some biblical scholar or anything like that. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what Jesus is saying either. But it does mean that you should find someone who has the same heart for Jesus as you do. The point of the yoke is not that the person you are with is completely equal with, you, equal with you spiritually. I don't know if you'll ever find that, really. The point of the yoke is that both parties are heading in the same direction together. If that is not the person you are dating, sisters, then you should not be with them. As you are hearing this word, as you are digesting, digesting what you are hearing right now and you realize that you are spiritually crippled, then praise the Lord because there is hope. There is hope. Even if you have been content in your spiritual lameness for years, trust me, God is able to change your life in a moment. For this crippled man, who was waiting by the gate, he was there for 40 years. Can you believe that? He was crippled for 40 years, and yet it was just one day, it was just one word, it was just one conversation with Peter and John, where they said, in the name of Jesus Christ, walk, that his life was changed forever. See, church, the power of his name didn't just transform the crippled man's legs, it transformed his soul forever. And that it can be, and that was my story. Do you believe that? It says here that after he was healed, he ran into the temple, praising the Lord for salvation had come to him. Man, what a great story. There's hope for you.
there is hope for us. Now, my second point is that Jesus is the only one who can heal us. Verses 3 to 6 says this, Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said this, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You see, church, alms are just another word for money. And this crippled man, he believed that if he just had a few more dollars, that he would be good. But Peter and John come up to him and says, look, I don't have money, but what I'll give you, I'll give you this. In the name of Jesus, I want you to walk. For so many of us, we are just like this crippled man. Because this crippled man didn't understand that what he needed was not money, it was spiritual transformation. And many of us, we are spiritually sick, and yet all we ask for is physical healing. For many of us, we are spiritually crippled, and yet all we ask for is for some physical alleviation. And the reason we are unstable is because our primary problem, church, is that we do not know God. And because we do not know God, we are willing to put our identity and our hope upon everything else in this world. And it becomes this cycle again and again. I've talked to so many people who have put everything into their money. And the minute they lose it, they become devastated. And the first thing they tell me is, man, I just need more money. I've talked to other people who have put everything into their relationships. And when they break up, when they get heartache, they come to me devastated and they say, I just need a better relationship. Church, the problem is not a lack of money or a lack of things or a lack of the perfect relationship. The problem is that your identity is not placed in where it should be. For so many of us, we're looking for everlasting change in temporary places. We're never going to get that there. We're looking for perfect contentment and everlasting contentment and things that aren't meant to give you pure contentment. The only person that will bring you true joy is Jesus Christ. He has the power to transform your life and the lives around you. Peter knew this. He knew this, for his life was transformed as well. In chapter 4, verse 7, you see the leaders, they see this man walking and running and doing all these different things. And so they go up to Peter and John, and they say, By what power and whose authority did you have to tell this lame man to walk? And Peter, he responds like this, It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. Peter, he knew the truth. Do you know the truth? Is this the very core of who you are? Or is your identity still placed on everything else but him? Church, if we are suffering, 
then our first response should not be to alleviate the suffering. It should not be a prayer for more money. It should not be a prayer for better relationship. Our first response should be, God, I want to know you more. I want to be closer to you. I want to know more of your character. Because if your relationship with God is good, when you know who he is, then everything else will be stable for you. Jesus is the one who can change our lives. And lastly, all I want to say is that there is hope in his name. There is hope in his name, church. In verse 6, Peter says, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You see, it was in the name of Jesus that this man stood. It was in the name of Jesus that this man was healed. It was in the name of Jesus that this man, after 40 years, after so much hopelessness, after just living day by day of just trying to get enough food to live for tomorrow, it was the name of Jesus that completely changed him. But it wasn't simply just the name of Jesus, because we read here that Peter specifically says, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, the question is, why does Peter say of Nazareth? He could have used a lot of different places because we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We know, yes, that he was raised in Nazareth. But we also know that he did a majority of his ministry in Galilee. And we know that he was crucified in Calvary. And so the question is, why would Peter, in this moment in time, say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rather than Bethlehem, Calvary, or Galilee? And the reason why is because Nazareth, out of all those places, it was known in the, in the greater world at that time to be a terrible place. It had no reputation, the people there were poor, and it was worthless, in fact. There was a saying even, can any good come from a place called Nazareth? And so the question is, why would Peter connect Jesus to Nazareth? And the reason why is because if the Savior of the world was raised in a place like Nazareth, then you, who did not come from a good background, then you, who messed up badly last year, then you, who cannot get their life together no matter how hard you try. For you, he can meet you exactly where you are. For you, he can change your life. For you, if he was born in Nazareth, if the Savior of the world was able to come from a place like that, if he was able to save a crippled man, if he was able to do the miracles that he did, if he was able to defeat death on the cross and rise again after three days, then he is able to do infinitely more in your life. Church, it doesn't matter if your father abandons you. It's, it's, it doesn't matter if your mother hates you. 
It's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that your life is transformed. It doesn't matter if you messed up and live a life full of regret. That you can't forget your past no matter how hard you try. It's going to be through the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that you are able to change your life. Jesus Christ can meet you at any place and at any time because our Jesus is from Nazareth. There are no excuses for you and I because no matter how terrible your life may be, Jesus is able to change it. That's our belief as Christians. That's the evidence of the Bible. That's the testimony of myself and that's the testimony of so many of our brothers and sisters. If Jesus was able to overcome death on the cross and rise again, then he is more than enough to change your life. There is nothing more powerful than him. There is hope in the name of Jesus. Lastly, I just want to give one application point. In verse 7, after Peter proclaims the power of God, it says that he took him by his hand and raised him up. Now that's a nice way of saying it, because it literally says that Peter, after he told them this, he grabbed him by the body and forcefully lifted him up. You see, Peter and John were willing to introduce this spiritually lame man to Jesus Christ. But not only that, they were willing to grab him and lift him up. For us, we have a generation of men and women who need to be lifted up. And yet what has happened is that they are being lifted up by the wrong people. They are, being li they are lifted up by the society. They are being lifted up by their workplace friends. They are being lifted up by all these other people who are leading them in the wrong direction. In our generation, we have men and women who desire and need to grow and need to grow in Christ. And yet being, they're being lifted up not by Peter and John's, but by other people. And it's the church's duty that God has empowered us with the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to proclaim his gospel and to reach out and not only to say it, but to live it and to live with others in it. And for us to not only say those words, but to go up to them, to grab them and to lift them up and say, look, follow after us. Follow after the Lord. Follow after this church, after these mentors, after these people, because we're going to be following after God. And if this is you, if you see this, man, that means God has placed a responsibility in your heart to do it. God has placed a responsibility in your heart to reach out to those even within our congregation that you see are struggling. That you see need to be just lifted up, grabbed maybe by their collars and, and raised up. And lastly, Brothers and sisters, if you are here and you realize that you are spiritually crippled, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. What I want to encourage you to do is to look for Peters and Johns who refuse to let you stay where you are. You know, going into that temple, there's a lot of people who are going to worship the Lord. And yet not one of them were willing to stay and talk with him and do what Peter and John did. 
Look for brothers and sisters who are spiritually mature, who can direct you and lift you up when you need to be lifted. You don't need to look further than this church. If you need help, I can recommend you. Look at our brothers and sisters who we just saw during our announcements, our life group leaders. They can lead you as well. Ask, and they will help you. But church, above all else, above all people, above all other things, remember that our hope is in the name of the Lord alone. We can grab each other by our collars all day long, but it is only through the power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that can bring true change. It will be through our belief that Jesus Christ died in our place, and it's this realization that will change our lives forever. So continue to persevere and love one another, for God has placed each of you in each other's lives for a reason. Amen? Let's pray.